They're helping the needy of Hong Kong. You can take a look right now at the items you can bid for when the auction opens at 8.25am on Thursday, and you can register in advance. And even if you don't want to bid for any of the items, you can still make a donation right now to Operation Santa Claus. We'll be very grateful if you do. You do that by either going to the Radio 3 homepage... That's www.rthk.hk forward slash Radio 3 or the Money Talk Facebook page. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Take a look now. We'll be adding more items right up until the open of the auction at 8.25 on Thursday morning. Let me give you an update. Uh, so it's coming up after the news. First of all, uh, back chat with Jim Gould and Mike Rouse this morning. Let me give you an update on the weather forecast. Mainly cloudy, a few rain patches. At first, mainly fine tomorrow. It's going to be rather warm during the day and then rather cool in the following couple of days. Temperature right now is 24 degrees, 96% relative humidity. Times 8.31, here's Ben Che with a half-hour news. An economist says proposed hikes in public transport and electricity charges are outrageous, adding that the government has a responsibility to help. From January, electricity bills will be between 20 and 45 percent higher than a year earlier. Franchise bus firms are seeking a 10 to 20 percent fare hike, while a taxi trade association wants a $6 increase in flagfall for urban cabs. Andy Kwan, director of the ACE Center for Business and Economic Research, told RTHK that while fare hikes were expected, they were too high given the recession. If you really raise such a high increase in electricity price or even for the bus fares, they will increase the financial burden on the lower or middle-income households. You don't want to see that. So in this case, I think the government has the responsibility to find ways to lower such an increase. Or the government has to think about like a subsidy, some kind of public transportation subsidy, or some kind of subsidy on electricity outlets. If you pay more on the basic outlets, and then basically out of discretionary consumption, we will also lower. Overseas, a huge landslide on the Italian island of Ischia is now known to have killed seven people. About five people are still missing after homes and vehicles were buried by a torrent of mud on Saturday. Italy's government has declared a state of emergency and promised aid. Ischia is vulnerable to earthquakes and mudslides. Some residents like Salvatore Lorenzi blame the authorities for failing to develop an adequate warning system. Something like this could have happened because it's a natural thing, but more attention should have been paid. Some sensors could have been installed in the mountain to warn that it was coming down. Now we have to try to restore everything like it was before, but without feeling sorry for ourselves and without waiting for outside help, because officials say they are helping, but I don't believe in their words. The news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jim Gould and your guest presenter today is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Jim. On today's programme, we're talking about pressure from transport operators for substantial increases in fares. The bus companies have applied to uh, raise fares by as much as 20% amid higher operating costs and falling passenger numbers, with lawmakers suggesting the government extend fuel subsidies to lessen the increases. Urban taxi operators are also seeking a $6 rise in the flag fall, pointing to higher costs for insurance and fuel. 
while the Star Ferry wants to double the amount that adult passengers have to pay, up to $8.40 per trip. Tram fares have already gone up by 15.4% this year. After 9.15, we'll be talking about the new uh, political setup in Malaysia. And at 9.25, we'll be joined by RTHK sports reporter Atom Chung with the latest on the Football World Cup. Let us know uh, what you think on uh, any of these topics. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. Joining us now uh, on the line, we have uh, uh, Gary Jang, New Territories North lawmaker and Deputy Chairman of the Legislative Council's uh, Subcommittee on uh, Railway Affairs. And also Alok Jain, CEO and Managing Director at uh, Transconsult. Um, thank you both very much uh, for joining us. Perhaps, uh, Gary Jang, if we can come to you first. Good morning. Good morning. Thank so, you for having me. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. So, so um, what do you think uh, can be done in order to... Uh, well, let's talk about buses first. But what do you think can be done in order to uh, limit uh, increase in bus fares? Um, I, I think for the buses, uh, in fact, just earlier um, uh, this, uh, just earlier uh, last year, we already have uh, we already have a very significant mm. fare increase uh, approved by the government and, and implemented uh, already. And uh, I think um, personally, I think it's really a very bad timing for the for the public transport uh, operators to uh, make make requests for a further fare increases because Hong Kong is now going through a, a just um, we're just sort of uh, walking away from the uh, very serious impact from uh, of covid and we are having a very slow recovery and this is quite vulnerable and if we at this as, at this moment of time if we further increases those um, like uh, trans, uh, transport, uh, uh, transport affairs and other other the, the, the prices of necessities in daily life, uh, it will um, inevitably hurt the process of the recovery. So I, I really don't think it's a good time, and I think the government should seriously consider. Um, I mean, first, first of all, perhaps using its veto power to uh, uh, reject those uh, requests, and also, but uh, for those, uh, for the for, for some operators. If the operator is really at a you know a fair fair increase or bankruptcy, um, this sort of situation we should uh, consider using some substances uh, to offset the increase and to really not to add any further increase, yeah. any further burden <coughs> on the general public. Yeah. That I think, uh, Mr. Chang. Good morning. You've you've actually highlighted the dilemma, really, haven't you? Because we can't expect commercial companies to run on a loss year after year, and they are running at a loss at the moment. Yeah, I, I think, um, um, uh, in principle, that's, that, that's true. Yeah, we, we cannot expect uh, commercial companies to run on, on the loss, but if we look at those, uh, uh, those numbers and data, uh, and uh, it's, it's really not, uh, the landscape is quite different. For some companies, they are still running like, uh, it's, it's not very profitable, it's like uh, just uh, margin, marginally break-even, break but we also need to look at the general public. They are suffering. They are also suffering a lot. And we're talking about the, the big picture, right? Yes. We are, we are in this uh, recovery process. It's very vulnerable. If we further increase the, 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 the price of some basic needs, it will hurt the economy. And at the end of the day, it's, it's, it, it will become bad for everyone. 
Yes, that a, a big picture, of course, is includes other things that have been going up lately, like electricity. Those uh, increases, although they sounded very small, five dollars or six dollars a month with the numbers being quoted, but actually the fuel adjustment clauses mean that in real terms the prices are going to be up thirty, in one case over forty percent, as far as the public are concerned on their monthly bill. So it's a very bad backdrop, isn't it? Yeah. Definitely, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, um, Alok Jane, uh, good morning to you. Yeah, good morning, Jim. Good uh, morning, Mike. Good morning. Uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. It has been suggested that the bus companies should be allowed or encouraged to seek uh, other forms uh, of income in order to uh, you know, improve their financial situation and, and limit the need for big increases in fares. Um, uh, can you see um, any areas in which that could be achieved? Yes, I think there are a lot of areas, but before I, before I answer that, I, I would just like to comment on something that Mike said just a moment ago. He said commercial companies are not expected to operate at a loss. And, and I'll just add to that that the commercial companies also should not be expected to achieve a guaranteed profit. Uh, it's a risk. Every business involves right. risk. And it, it can, the needle can swing either way. And, and obviously, as a business, one has to ask this question, uh, or as a government, one has to ask this question, that is there a better way to deliver the same service? Now, that's a question that nobody is answering at the moment. We are seeing our bus companies and, and all the public transport operators to be like it, having a perpetual license and, and literally, uh, as a monopoly, they, they have a perpetual renewal of their franchises without having any uh, option or for anyone else to look at whether this commercially they can provide the same services at a better price or not. So that's a fundamental flaw in the model, the whole operating model. But having said that, yes, whether the bus companies can do better within the current framework, the answer is yes. I mean, most of the bus companies, I'm both three bus companies in Hong Kong, out of that, at least two of them are sitting on uh, decent land parcels. They have access to a lot of um, other um, resources, I would say, uh, which can be monetized. Uh, there are some, of course, restrictive regulations and policies from the government, which can be relaxed to monetize some of these efforts. I mean, deeper monetization is one of the areas which um, our bus companies have not explored much. And that is one area which can certainly generate a substantial amount of money to plug some of the gaps. So I think there are a lot of room and opportunities for bus companies to explore within the current framework. What about taxes? Uh, because I, I'm thinking I wrote in a taxi yesterday which still has the conversion chart in it for, yes. the, for the last round of increases. <laughs> yeah. They haven't got around to adjusting all the meters and yet here they are asking for another increase. Well, taxi is a fundamentally flawed market in Hong Kong. Uh, it survives only because of this protectionist policy that was introduced in 1990s, which uh, capped the number of taxis. So it's a premium market. There is a whole artificial, uh, it's not a market-driven uh, scenario anyway. So I think this is really, to me, an extortionist approach, where because the market is so restrictive and because, the, the, you know, the, the taxi they don't want anyone else to enter the market. There is no competition there. So basically they say, we do whatever we want. We, we, government has to guarantee our profit. We just have to keep increasing the prices. Now, I, I think that is really what is what bothers me about this current approach. I'll just go a bit on the historical side. 
So yes, now the oil prices have gone up. There's an energy price impact, etc., which uh, needs to be compensated for. We need to address it. But just can someone remind me that when the oil prices in 2000 and uh, you know 12, they were 120 dollars per barrel, and then they dropped down to 40 dollars per barrel in 2015-16. Did anybody reduce the price at that time? Everybody was gouging the profit. So I, I don't have any sympathy at this point of time for them to increase the prices because the oil prices have gone up. And oil prices are still below those historically high prices in 2008. So I think we need to keep things in perspective. So every time things go up, we look at compensating, we look at increasing the prices. But when the prices actually go down, nobody, everybody forgets that this has to be then somewhere somehow adjusted back into the whole pricing mechanism. Because the the value of the licenses fluctuates. That only fluctuates because of this uh, artificial market right. that has been created. Mm. What, what do you think, uh, Gary Jang? What's your view of this uh, uh, request from the urban taxis to uh, to raise the flag fall by six dollars? I mean, that's that's another big hike, isn't it? And should we be looking more at the idea of ride sharing? Um. Yeah, yes, like, uh, like we just mentioned, the the, 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 price, the price conversion table is still being used and they are now request they are now requesting for another uh, fair ride. And uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with the, uh, agree with the point that uh, um, this company, I mean, these operators, like this uh, industry, they, they they took advantage of uh, of the of a very protected market. And uh, when the, when the oil prices go down and uh, went down, it's is they 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 just um, they just enjoy the uh, uh, extra profits without really um, uh, adjusting the adjusting the prices. So I, I think um, I, I mean I'm I'm I mean I I don't want to uh, really uh, comment or, or on 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 the on individual uh, operators or in industry at this moment. But from a big from a from a bigger perspective, I think it's very bad timing for any for any further. Uh, uh, fair rises uh, at this point of the year because we are having this uh, very very uh, vulnerable and very um, uh, very challenging um, external environment and we we just we just started to have our recovery so it's actually should be a collective uh, effort to to continue to protect such a recovery and if if the if we if, if the recovery is uh, like uh, uh, it's like cannot cannot go on. So uh, at the end, the the, conse- the consequences will will be uh, uh, carried by uh, carried carry on by everyone. So uh, I, I don't I don't I don't support the the the, the fair uh, increases uh, request made by the made by the taxi industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the economy is weak at the moment. The recovery uh, fragile. I, I, are you also? Concerned, maybe that uh, you know, with all, all these potential price rises, it's going to have an ef- effect on inflation. I mean, we've Hong Kong's managed to avoid uh, the worst of infl- inflation, which is uh, obviously affecting uh, uh, other parts of the world uh, very much at the moment. But um, um, what, what do you think about that? Do you, do, you, do you fear that we may have more inflation on the horizon if all these fares go up, and as Mike mentioned before, uh, the power, uh, power costs and so on? Um, I, I think it's um, the, in terms of the inflation, it's, uh, it's still uh, very uh, difficult to pre- to make uh, any accurate uh, predictions. But uh, 
Indeed, um, we are we are we are facing a very uh, unpredictable uh, external environment. So we really need to, as I mean, at uh, at the government level or at the electrical level, we really need to rethink about the the, the fair adjustment mechanism for different uh, like public utilities, public transport. Because uh, at this moment, we we I mean uh, during uh, during a uh, during good days, everything just seemed seemed to be okay. But when now we are in very challenging uh, situations and uh, a lot of uh, different uh, uh, different um, questions and different problems uh, emerge. So I think uh, indeed we need to have a rethink about uh, how to um, re-establish the mechanism for uh, a fair adjustment for different uh, for different public uh, transport operators. It's quite common that when we go through these rough patches of stormy weather, people want their the government to pay more, either not charging tax and certain things or duty or actually direct subsidies. What, what do you think is going to be the response of LegCo to those requests? I think it really depends on different uh, situations. I mean, if uh, for, like, just... Uh, for, for, uh, just uh, um uh, for, for example, like the the, the Star Ferry, um, the the operator, the, the this business is really at the a brink of bankruptcy. It's is making the continuous, uh, is, is operating on continuous loss. Yes, I think that sort of uh, makes sense to uh, to use some, uh, uh, um, I mean, to uh, support the, the the fare increase and also to use some uh, to use some perhaps government subsidy to offset the to offset the increase or to really make the this uh, operator survive but i think for other uh, sub, uh, uh, other operators we really need, need to examine their financial uh, uh, financial better financial status and if that if if they are if they are still doing okay so i don't think it's really the the, the, the time to, for government to to intervene uh, we, sh- we we should be more patient and to wait for a few months to see how the recovery goes and even if we decide to use the subsidy i think um, uh, in the in the past or currently most of the subsidies goes to uh, go goes go go to, go directly to the end users i think perhaps we need to um, uh, 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 review on the, uh, uh, whether we we could better use of the resources like uh, we should offset the increase, the, the amount, the amount of the increase, the, the percentage, uh, the, uh, the percentage of the increase uh, from, I mean, I mean uh, 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 from the beginning, like the, so that we can control the 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 the, the, over, the, the base rate to the, to to, uh, to ensure that the base rate itself uh, doesn't uh, doesn't uh, go go high up so, so quickly. Yeah. All right. Where are we in the? Can I just yes. uh, add a point? I, I mean, I beg to disagree that fair increase should be linked to financials of a company, because that is a fundamental flaw in this entire model. Uh, Fair should should be linked to market requirements and market conditions, certainly, but financials of a company are dependent on so many things. I mean, I can just give everybody in the company a pay increase and make the financials look bad and then pass this cost to uh, to the company. I mean, that, that's is that the model are we looking for? Uh, I think financial position of a company is also representative of their performance. So we have to see, are they performing at par with the best of the world? Now, and if they are not, then there should be no reason why they, they should be getting the financial reward of pay increases, or, or, sorry, or of the uh, fare increases. So I think th- these are the th- areas where I feel that our current governance model is not quite addressing these things. 
when it comes to something like star ferry uh, yes star ferry we would like to keep it as an icon in hong kong and many you know th- these kind of examples abound in the world where the governments has come in they have taken over the asset because they can't make money in the commercial world and they maintain it they keep it and they keep it as a part of the heritage and they have just the operating contract i mean singapore has now moved towards this cross cost contract model where all the transport operators they are providing a service and they get paid for providing the service to the government and the government takes control of all the assets all the revenues and and they also are responsible then to stabilize the fare i think we have to look at the entire business model uh, in hong kong and then see what suits best for individual scenarios i think we, nobody is looking at that we are just looking at a very linear progression in which if i make a loss as a transport operator i am rewarded with a fair increase and another point i would like to make is that most of the cases if you look at historically the bus company will be asked for or the any taxis they will ask for a ridiculous amount of fare increase 20% 30% and then the government will give them 50% of that fare increase so it's like a you know it's like a game that they play and and we we as pub, members of the public will be happy that we only got half the fare increase and i think this is this, this is something that is factored into now these application processes where they know that they are not going to get the full fare increase hence ask for something much bigger than that and then the government gives you half of that and everybody is happy in the end i think that is you know we need to build in more scrutiny in this model uh, that we currently have what implications does this have then for uber and freeing up the market well we are basically creating a market for uber i think people will use more of uber if uber can become the price competitive the entire uber model uh, is predicated on the fact that they would like to kick uh, or present, present themselves as below the taxi market or more efficient than the taxi market and then they will make taxis worse and worse and eventually they will monopolize the market and then they can increase the prices this is exactly what happened in china in singapore when whenever one of the big players i mean when uber left china uh, the prices of uh, the taxis or or ride sharing got, went up by 20% singapore had the same when uber left the market grab and um, gojek they increased jack up the prices by 20% so i think this is really the vagaries of the market that we need to be aware of and the entire regulatory model has to look at these things and prevent these things from happening because ultimately it hurts the citizens mr jung time to let uber in legally um i i, I agree that uh now we actually the, the, the currency the, the current situation is actually creating a very uh, special market for uber so it's it's actually better to uh to regulate them and to to be aware of the situation instead of just pretending that they it don't exist or pretending that we can use uh, we can we can rely on the law enforcement to uh I mean to to drive out the 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 Uber from our local market is not is not is not going to work. Yeah. Right. And where are we now? I uh, because I've lost track with all these transport operations. Where are we now in the cycle of MTR adjustments? Are they are they annual every couple of years or and there's a they formula. Come in every June. Yeah. Sorry? They come in every June. Every June. Yeah. But there's a formula, now, isn't there? And now we are having now we are having the very um, uh, uh, now we have an, another round of uh, review of the mm-hmm. mechanism itself, 
and uh, the current Chinese government is, uh, is is doing the public consultation on the on such review. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, glad you mentioned that, uh, Gary Jiang, yes, because, uh, yeah, there's a, a three-month consultation going on until December the 19th. Um, um, uh, do you think there might be uh, any su sort of substantial changes to the uh, MTR uh, fare adjustment mechanism? I, it's quite a complicated system, isn't it? Um, in fact, to be fair, it's not really that uh, complicated. If we, if, if we look at the, the core of the fair adjustment uh, mechanism, is a formula, and, and this, mm -hmm. such formula is linked to some uh, uh, statistics, uh, statistics, statistics re released by the governments, like the uh, co consumer price index and uh, the, the salary, uh, the, the wage index of the transportation uh, section. And uh, it, uh, in, in short, the, the, the current fair adjustment formula uh, sort of reflects, to a certain extent, the, 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 the change of the operating cost. Of the of the railway service, and it's uh, it's uh, it's uh, objective and it's transparent mechanism. So no, no doubt, no doubt with that part. But I think the the main the, the major concerns with the uh, MTR fare adjustment mechanism is that uh, MTR is not a just it's not just a commercial company. It's a it's a it's majority of shares uh, are owned by government, mm -hmm. and it, it, it relies on the social license to operate. So the public. Has this reasonable expectations that MTR should shoulder more social res responsibilities? And to be more specific, it means that when MTR is making a, a huge profit, uh, uh, taking advantage from its uh, like its, its social license, its social its social uh, uh, social role, and uh, uh, in that situation, should MTR still uh, uh, increase its fare? And uh, to to add the burden to the general public, and that's really a the point of uh, debate or discussion at this moment. What, what do you make of the argument by the the Federation of Trade Unions, uh, who they say the the uh, MTR's uh, property portfolio ought to be taken into consideration as well? Oh, I actually, I, I yep. Hello? And there is a there is a this is a very technical question. In, in fact, in the in the in the formula itself, there is a factor called productivity factor, and uh, this this one is related to its railway operations um, uh, uh, financial performance, like the its, its output and input, its cost and revenue. And I, I think what the the other uh, some lawmakers they they are suggesting to uh, not just uh, not just relying on the railway operations portfolio, but Really, the the the, the, the underlying the overall underlying the business of the MTR. Mm -hmm. But in fact, I I, I I did carry out a calculation on the, what would be the changes. Um, um, what would be the changes if we use the overall portfolio of MTR, including the station retail, including the uh, property uh, property uh, sales. But um, uh, 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 as a result. Uh, um, Actually, the, the number doesn't change. Uh, doesn't change at all. It's still an active uh, number. It, it means that uh, we, we, um, if we uh, use the current formula, we cannot really gain any. Uh, I mean, mm. uh, further uh, fair discount from such a calculation. So I, I don't think it's a is a feasible is a feasible improvement that uh, uh, to if 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 the objective is to I mean to to lower the fair increase. Yeah. And, and we can't just assume that the property portfolio is always going to make a profit. What would happen yep. if it swung into a loss? Yeah, then, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> would we put the fares up by more to compensate? <laughs> you, if you bring something into the calculation, then it's in, right? It, you can't take it out again just because circumstances are not convenient. But, but 
that's very true. Yeah. Yeah. There yeah. could be there could be some mechanisms which can arrest uh, some of these downturns where the government has to step in as a, as a biggest shareholder of the company. So it's not completely wacky in in that sense. So I think it, it, end of the day, it's the it's the robustness of the formula, and somebody has to do the sensitivity test that of what if what happens in various scenarios and what could be the protection mechanisms around that. I think it's it's again the question here is that it is something we should look at it from an open mind and then decide what is best for the company as well as best for Hong Kong. And and I think we we cannot disengage uh, these two from one another. Mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest gorillas. Uh, in the room, uh, because of these fair increases that nobody is talking about, is the impact on the you know private car ownership. I mean, today, once you have 20% increase in let's say bus prices, 20 you know taxi prices going up, the marginal cost of owning a car in Hong Kong is going to look even better and better. So more and more people will go and buy the cars because public transport would be ex- more expensive. Right, and that yeah. is going to cause a long-term impact on that. our transport or the whole urban mobility. And then what? We are going to build more roads, and that is coming out of a taxpayer expense anyway. So end of the day, we are going into that negative spiral, the vicious circle of, of what all the countries around the world have gone through. And then now they are trying to step in and stop that, that uh, increase in private car ownership and put more public transport. Okay. Hong Kong was a fantastic model, which has survived and worked very well. We have almost eight, more than 85% of the people use public transport on a daily basis. And I think we need to preserve that model and we need to do everything that, that you know, allows us to retain that. Okay. All right. Thank you very much uh, to both of you. Uh, that was uh, Alec Jane, CEO and Managing Director of Transconsult. And thank you to Gary Jang, New Territories North Lawmaker and Deputy Chairman of the Legislative Council's Subcommittee on Railway Affairs. We're going to take a break for the news summary. We'll be back at three minutes past. A quick look at the weather. Mainly cloudy, few rain patches. It's currently 25 degrees and the humidity is at 94%. More than two months, sparked by the death of Masa Amini in police custody. You're listening to the news on RTHK. And welcome back to Back Chat with Mike Rouse and me, Jim Gould. And this morning, for our main topic, we're talking about uh, pressure for public transport fare increases. Uh, uh, we've mentioned uh, the buses, uh, urban taxis, the Star Ferry. Um, tram fares have already gone up by 15.4% this year. Um, and it seems that uh, there may be uh, others in the pipeline. We're joined on the line by uh, Michael Teen. Roundtable convener and legislative councillor. Good morning to you. Good morning. So, uh, with, with so many transport operators uh, pushing for uh, large fare increases, uh, w- what's your view and what do you think can be done to, to limit those increases? I would, I would like to suggest a correction to your title. Actually, today's discussion should be the uh, intolerable... Uh, constant increases of non-rail public transport fares. What's happening, if you look at Hong Kong's public transport history over the last 20, 30 years, is the uh, uh, increasingly uh, dependent uh, uh, policy on rail. 
uh, its share of the public transport market has been steadily increasing over the last 20, 30 years. And government has declared that it will continue to do so. And there are seven new rails uh, being planned currently. So the interesting thing is that if you look at uh, the uh, fare adjustment uh, mechanism, which allows MTR to increase fare every year based on the formula, mm-hmm. uh, going all the way back to the day of the, of the beginning of the merger, the average increase, surprisingly, is not even inflation. It's not even the consumer price index. It's about 70% of the consumer price index. So how can MTR survive with that kind of an increase, whereas buses and taxis and everybody else are asking for, like, you know, uh, double-digit uh, increases, uh, not every year, but if you average them out, it's definitely uh, higher than inflation. The reason is because of the rail keep expanding its market share. Therefore, they have enough uh, top line to generate a healthy bottom line to uh, support a uh, a lower than uh, inflation uh, fare increase over the long run. So in a lot of other jurisdictions in the world, what they would do is to set up a public transport fare authority to regulate the fares. Uh, In the case of Hong Kong, I've been advocating to the past uh, CE and the current one to set up the same kind of uh, authority and to use um, dividends collected from MTR uh, that's being paid out to government to subsidize all other non-rail transport operators Mm -hmm. and keep the non-rail transport operators fare increases every year, regardless of oil and electricity price increases, to, let's say, cap at inflation, all right? And the reason they need to increase be increasing a little bit higher than MTRs because MTRs all these other government subsidies like land development and all that. So once you cap it at inflation, which is what a passenger uh, uh, point of view uh, should be because he or she would say, what do rising of oil prices have to do with my affordability? I haven't had a, a salary increase in three years. All right, and most people in Hong Kong <clears throat> actually uh, uh, go through uh, their sort of daily uh, uh, financial planning really based on uh, some kind of an inflation feel, because that's how uh, you know uh, most employers actually decide on annual wage increases um, in uh, over the long term. All right. Michael, we, presumably we're going to continue to give priority to off-road transport options because we're a crowded city. Absolutely. And actually, there's nothing wrong with that. The question is, how do you keep the other choices alive when there are fewer and f- fewer people taking them, but they are still important? Right. All right. Unless you go to the Singapore mode, which is absolute efficiency over choices, and they reduce everything down to just rail and maybe one or two others. So 
how do we pay for choices and at the same time achieve uh, a uh, uh, equitable uh, and affordable fare increase? It must be to somehow take the benefit that government reap from MTR's growing share and then to subsidize the other operators. So in other words, right now what they do is that they go to Exco and Exco says, I look at everything, I think you have a case in point, okay, so you can increase uh, 4%. My proposal was in the future, all right, they would have a fair adjustment mechanism every year, just like MTR, kept that inflation. And government still scrutinize their financial statement. And if any particular year they feel that they ought to increase 4%, then government would uh, pay them 3% out of the MDR dividend. That's how other uh, authorities do it. Is, is, is it going to be rather complicated? No, it's the simplest. To everybody in Hong Kong, they plan into their budget that uh, all public transport would increase by inflation. Mm. What, what about the, the discussion we had earlier about, before you came on air about uh, the taxi market, which, of course, as we know, is somewhat artificial because we've capped the number of licenses. Is it, is it time to free up that market? Uh, I don't know. Freeing up that market, uh, it's uh, something uh, people talk about uh, uh, getting competition in. You know, which is the uh, a lot of the other sort of a legalized uh, form of Uber and all that. But the point is, uh, can you really go back in history? Because a lot of these people have paid very high prices for their uh, uh, past uh, license uh, due to government uh, having uh, once for a long period restricted their number. So it is uh, more of a political thing than anything else. Right, uh, they could, but they made a judgment to buy those licenses, didn't they? Yeah, I still think there's a way to sit down with a taxi trade, and then there are these uh, other uh, more uh, technologically advanced uh, 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 operators, like, uh, you know, well, in Singapore you have Grab, right? right? You have a lot of these people that are actually working in conjunction with existing taxis, to provide that service. I was trying to push for that, but somehow the taxi trade seems to be resisting it. Okay. I have an e email here from listener John says, uh, most of the <coughs> utility companies are owned by property companies. Uh, Henderson controls uh, HK uh, Gas and HK Ferry. Cheung Kong controls uh, HK Electric. New World controls New World Bus and City Bus. SHK controls KMB. Wharf owns Hong Kong Tram and Star Ferry. Each of these uh, property groups has made millions of profits over the past few decades by redeveloping sites. They were formerly occupied that were formerly occupied by their utility subsidiaries and associates. South Horizons, Laguna City and Times Square are just three examples. Uh, John concludes uh, the government should take these cumulative gains into account when considering whether to allow the utilities to hike their fares and tariffs. Um, uh, Michael Teen, any thoughts about that particular <laughs> message? Uh, government collect premium from... Uh, in this case, uh, Wharf, uh, for the old uh, tram dip uh, uh, depot site uh, many, many years ago. 
the question is whether they collect the fair premium or not. If we believe that they did, then that's a separate deal. Uh, we are now talking about, honestly, a lot of these uh, uh, development developers uh, hanging on to these utility companies. Uh, I'm not sure they actually really want to. I think, I think if the public uh, uh, would excuse them for giving up these franchises, they would very much like to. It is not within the na- na- uh, real uh, nature of business. Uh, some says that, uh, for example, uh, running the bus companies help uh, uh, the uh, value of your development. Uh, well, I'm not too sure about that. Uh, from my uh, understanding from a lot of developers, who wants to operate Star Ferry? There's nothing to develop there. It's a dead case. It's a historic uh, 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 mode, which uh, Hong Kong treasure is more like a tourist thing now. Uh, and you cannot generate a lot of revenue from the shops. So I don't think any developer would uh, have any keen interest on hanging on to Star Ferry other than the fact, other than the fact that it would be a loss of face if they uh, refuse to do so. All right. Michael, there's a lot of hands out at the moment, aren't there? People want fuel duty not charged, or they want direct subsidies, and so on. Um, we're already ru- running a deficit of around $100 billion this year. Um, what about the impact on all of this, on public well, finances? See, that's, why I, that's why I've been pushing for this idea of a public fair transport authority. I'm not asking government to raise taxes uh, <coughs> from all other taxpayers in Hong Kong to subsidize those taking public transport, all right? I'm asking for government to take the dividends from MTR to uh, square off the difference between what uh, uh, citizens can afford and uh, individuals, operators, any particular uh, need in any particular time uh, by looking, scrutinizing their financial statement then using the MPL dividend to do it because at the end, what these other non-rail operators are facing is a, is, a, is a loss of market share due to MPL. Right. So it's only rightful to do so, and I don't see anything, uh, any problem with that. You're talking about government also is a uh, collector of rent because they own the whole Shatin Central link and the uh, Twin Ma line, all right? One, one so, day. so, so, collect when they when they collect rent from MTR, and they have the dividends from MTR. All these are things that they should plow back to the public transport uh, sector mm. to subsidize the non-rail uh, operators uh, and modes uh, that are being uh, victimized. One of the dangers that was highlighted earlier was that by increasing public transport fares. It made the marginal cost of owning a car. You, you change the balance of advantage there, and more people would be tempted uh, to buy a car, um, which, of course, has adverse effects on the general sit- situation of mobility. Absolutely. That's why I'm saying it's, so, it's ever so important to cap the overall uh, public transport fare uh, at a level similar to the consumer price index rise to uh, discourage people uh, from driving. 
You are, you're absolutely right. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much for taking part uh, in our discussion this morning. Um, that was uh, Michael Teen, Roundtable Convener and uh, Legislative Councillor. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. And we're switching topics now for the next uh, 10 minutes or so to the new uh, political scene in Malaysia, uh, where uh, Anwar Ibrahim has become uh, uh, the country's uh, prime minister. Anwar, of course, a uh, uh, long-time uh, reformist uh, opposition leader. We're joined uh, on the line by Atricia Yeo, who's a CEO of the Institute for Democracy and Economic Affairs, an independent policy think tank in Malaysia. Uh, good morning. Thank Thanks for joining us. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. So, um, obviously, uh, in Hong Kong, we follow events in uh, Malaysia quite closely. Uh, and the past few years, uh, as, as we know, there's been considerable uh, uh, political ups and downs and, and turmoil. I think uh, uh, three prime ministers uh, since 2018. Uh, okay. Do you think we can now look forward to a bit more political stability? So, I think just for context, yes, uh, Malaysia just had its 10th Prime Minister sworn in, mm. and it's not even been, you know, a week yet, and uh, we are just hoping and expecting the next couple of days that he will be forming his cabinet, mm. uh, and he has already, you know, made uh, certain um, mention about the kinds of things that he plans to do, but as for political stability, I think, um, well, I, I just wrote an article about this, and I think it really still is based on several things. So number one, whether or not the coalition that he has put together in what's now called a unity government will be able to keep to these arrangements and whether there's going to be sort of a built-in mechanism to ensure that the arrangements between these coalitions would be able to stay. So bear in mind that these coalitions have not actually worked together in a federal government before. So it will be unprecedented. And of course, there will be other political uh, events over the next few months that may also test this stability. So number one, he has already called for a, go a vote of confidence that will take place in Parliament on the first day, that's the 19th of December. The second thing would be the sort of uh, budget uh, that needs to be tabled and passed in Parliament, uh, ideally before the end of the year, so that we can have expenditures for the next fiscal year. And the third thing would be one of the parties, which is an essential uh, stakeholder in the coalition, is actually holding its General Assembly in December as well. And so whether or not they are able to stick to the decisions to support Anwar Ibrahim as the Prime Minister remains to be seen. So these are three things to look out for before the end of the year. This, is this the rump of the old UMNO that you're, you're talking about? Yes, yes. So the party is UMNO um, that's holding its General Assembly in December. Yeah. And as well, they will be holding their party elections uh, within the first quarter of next year, uh, in, you know, either March or April. And uh, UMNO support is vital to ensuring that Anwar Ibrahim is actually in command of a majority number of seats in Parliament um, without AMNO or rather its larger coalition, Barisan National, of which AMNO takes the lion's share of seats, 
Anwar will not have the necessary majority support needed to command the House. So it's been called a unity government, but essentially that's not really well-defined in the Constitution. So there are still questions over what that means. Um, when we previously heard the term unity government, what we understood it to be was that there would be no opposition. But in this instance, there is an opposition in the form of another right. coalition called Perikatan National, and they actually performed really well this election, getting 73 seats uh, of the 222 parliamentary seats. Mm. So um, it, it's not really a unity government per se, it is a coalition government. Right. So uh, yeah, still waiting to see how the opposition and uh, what the nature of this government is going to look like. And Anwar's party, of course, got 80-something seats. Um, but it, in view of his relationship with UMNO in the past, he, they have a long history of, uh, an interesting history, shall I say. Um, how long the, the BN will stay with Anwar has got to be a question mark. Yes, so, I mean, uh, if you really go back into the, the long history, then Anwar himself did come from UMNO as well. Right. Um, many of the breakout parties actually all came from UMNO because UMNO was the foundational party um, during the country's early years. And, uh, but yes, you're right that since his sacking from the party in 1998 um, as deputy prime minister as well, uh, there has been an extremely, um, an extreme animosity essentially between Amno and Anwar Ibrahim, uh, simply because of the fact Amno has been the dominant party. Um, you know, there were accusations against him on the counts of corruption as well as sodomy. Um, so Malaysia still had these, had these archaic laws. And uh, the kind of cooperation that you're seeing between Amno and Parti Adilan, which is the People's Justice Party, which he is the head of, uh, that right now, at least uh, without having had tremendous grassroots support yet, uh, stems from the relationship that he personally had with Amno's president, Zahid Hamidi. Mm. And they go back a long way. They were student leaders together. So they have a shared history there as well. Um, but I think what we are waiting to see is whether this translates to the sort of ground support right. from the grassroots leaders who have for all this time um, been at loggerhead with Anwar's party. So you're right, it's interesting to see what lies ahead. If they can put something together in a very strong and stable way, this would be a really fascinating way forward for the country. Uh, essentially, it is UMNO's worst performance in its history. And right. so it also needs to build back uh, its base over the next term. Well, as we know, uh, uh, racial and religious uh, factors play a large role in, uh, in Malaysian politics. Uh, there are, of course, uh, large uh, uh, Chinese and Indian minorities there. So um, what does the current situation mean for those groups? So this election, what we saw was the rise, as I mentioned earlier, of a coalition called PN, or Perikatan National, of which the largest number of seats is held by PAS, the Islamic Party. So the Islamic Party is a very, very old party. They have a stronghold in the East Coast states of Kelantan and Trunganu. They've always held Kelantan at least for many decades. So this time, they actually gained the most out of 
instability, the internal instability within AMNO. So as people observe the leadership crisis within AMNO, they actually moved their votes and they shifted over to PAS and PN. This has left some Malaysians feeling a little um, surprised and, uh, and, and shaken because of their belief that uh, the people had switched over to PN and PAS primarily based on race, racial and religious grounds. And it did not help that during the campaign, PN also used some very inflammatory remarks uh, against the non-Malay, non-Muslim population. Uh, this was done at the height of the campaign, so... I think we need to take it with a pinch of salt. Mm. But essentially, what I'd like to say is that while it is true that people switched away from BN to PN as an alternative, especially among the Malay Muslim voters, we also need to be quite circumspect about the reasons for which they did that because they may not have done so primarily because of conservatism, but because they saw a weakness in UMNO with the leadership splits, rivalries, and, of course, a corruption case that has yet to be resolved. Okay. So they could just have switched over for those reasons. So we need to be, as I said, quite careful in our analysis of this. OK, all right. Well, thank you very much for joining us on the programme this morning. Hope to sp speak to you again soon. That was uh, Tricia Yeo, CEO of the Institute for Democracy and Economic Affairs, which is a, an independent policy think tank in Malaysia. And joining us now for the last uh, five minutes or so of the programme, uh, we have in the studio with us our sports reporter, Atom Jung, with the latest on the Football World Cup. Good morning, Atom. Good morning. So, uh, a big game overnight. Oh, a lot happened last night. I mean, let's start with Germany and Spain. It's good to see Germany win. It makes the group more meaningful now that they have a chance to progress. So, um, that's really good. And... Um, so, uh, also, uh, in that same group, uh, Costa Rica shocked Japan uh, a game uh, after... So, so, sorry, sorry to butt in, Adam. I think you said Germany won. It was a draw, wasn't it? It was a draw. Oh, yeah, it yes, it's, yeah. it's a draw, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Spain and Germany won. won it, it, but they get yeah. one point and they're That's still right. in it. That, 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 yeah, exactly. If they'd lost, they'd exactly. have been out. That's the important thing. <laughs> it just it? goes yeah, to they... show you how important it is because it feels <laughs> yeah. like a win. Yeah, yes, thanks for pointing that out. It was yeah. a draw. Yeah. And they scored in the last minute, well, late in the game, to, to get the one point to stay alive. It, it seems that all of the groups, with one exception, are still lots of possibilities. Uh, in terms of who's going to go through. Yeah, exactly. So, like I just mentioned, in that Group E, all four teams, Germany, Spain, uh, Japan, Costa Rica, all have a chance to progress af uh, after the uh, last round of games. I don't want to tempt fate here, but maybe we'll get some angry calls. But if, if Wales beat England... Uh, that group's going to be interesting as well, isn't it? Yeah, and, and Wales need to win to stay alive, but that's really unlikely based on the way they've been playing. Uh, England is on a bit of a roll, although they stumbled a little bit with a draw against the Americans, not being able to beat them. It'd be interesting to see how Gareth Southgate feels his lineup for, for the next game. And maybe if they show some intensity and start attacking again. Like they did in the first game. You know, speaking of attacking, a lot of people are saying, well, why isn't Phil Foden playing? 
because I, I picked him as Bukayo and Bukayo Saka as the two players to break out for England. Saka's doing fine. He looked great in the first game, especially scoring two goals. But we haven't seen any of Phil Foden yet. Okay, and then of course, uh, defending champions France, the first team to go through to the knockout stage after their win over Denmark. Yeah, a, a smooth path for them, and uh, all that thanks to Kylian Mbappe coming yeah. up with the two big goals late against Denmark. He looks like he's having fun. He looks like he's not bothered by anything. He, At age only 23, he's got a World Cup title under his belt. Mm-hmm. He, he really looked good. Yeah. Um, and so, as you say, so relaxed, so happy. Mm. His, his pressure's obviously not getting to him. Yeah. No, yeah, not at all. Okay, okay uh, Atom, can we uh, have a look at uh, games we've got uh, coming up, uh, particularly Brazil-Switzerland? Sure, yeah, so Brazil uh, plays Switzerland tonight. Both teams won their opening games. This is going to be a little bit tricky for Brazil because they're going to have to do this without Neymar, who's been ruled out of the group stage because of an ankle injury. Uh, Switzerland looked good against Cameroon, but Brazil is a different animal. Uh, they looked great in the first game because they were very smooth. So I'm, I'm looking for Richarlison to provide some offense for Brazil, looking for Castemiro to be solid on, in, in the midfield as he was in the last game. Uh, and then uh, also just a quick mention of the other group, Portugal can qualify with a win over Uruguay, but those veteran guys on Uruguay will have something to say about that. Well, each of them is led by a veteran. Yes. We've yes. got Ronaldo at age Suarez. 37, and you got two guys in, the, in, his, in their mid-30s in Luis Suarez, Suarez and Edison Cavani, Cavani on the other side. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, uh, uh, one of our other uh, regional teams, um, South Korea, also going to be in action. That's right, yeah. So, so they're going to need a win. Uh, they'll try to get more out of Song Hyun Min. He's, he's still recovering from his injury. Hopefully he can be more of a factor on the, in this game. Uh, Ghana, uh, if they lose, they're out. So they're pretty desperate too. Okay, Atom Jung, thank you very much for that. And we'll look forward to speaking to you again tomorrow. Um, Let's have a quick uh, look uh, at the weather before we go to the news summary and morning brew. It's going to be mainly cloudy, a few rain patches at first, uh, uh, warm with sunny periods during the day, top temperature around 20.